You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. It is time for another J.C. and Morgan podcast, the podcast that will not break down every single facet of LeBron James's life. Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network, J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports, which is now yet another platform you can catch our uh bi-weekly podcast this one in the uh, preview installment which will uh, drop later on this week this more of a uh, review of what happened in the last week of college football that being week number eight jc how are you i was doing well until tuesday night when i watched the you know movie joker like you did and uh kind of uh-huh. have the, the same as the therapy going i you know i had to enter a program after that yep. and uh you know, really fascinating movie. Um, in fact, and great, and you 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 nailed it about jo- uh, Joaquin Phoenix and his performance. It was unbelievable, um, mm-hmm. just from an artistic standpoint. But yeah, had to go in therapy for a little while. But then I found out the McRib is back at McDonald's, <laughs> and everything was better. So those are my two big things this week. Joker yeah. and McRib is back. So and McRib, I am going to get a McRib shortly after we. Um, we record this or seven and, wow. um, and uh, feed some to my dog and, and just bask in the barbecue sauce and the delicious, mm. whatever the heck the meat is. And I, I'm just kidding about that. I'm, I'll probably eat one though. <laughs> I, you're a braver man than I, I, uh, <laughs> I have managed to live a life free of the McRib. Oh my and God. And I hope to continue that, that stretch. Mike, just like you get on me for not watching uh, last chance to you, and you can't uh-huh. believe it. I can't believe you've never had a McRib, man. Ah. Well, I, I mean, I think like there, I'm recommending programs that I'm pretty sure, even if you don't like, they're not going to make your stomach sick. <laughs> they're not going to kill you eventually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Put you in the sure. hospital. Yeah. Whereas a McRib. Eh. <sighs> I don't know if that'll go down well. Uh, it's a no knock on Mickey D's, but 
50-50 I just don't know if I can sustain a McRib. Uh, no, I'm with you there. That could be that could be a problem for me. Then again, I look back at some of the things I ate in college and in my youth, and I wonder how I'm still standing here today alive. So uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm not giving my stomach enough credit for its true toughness, toughness and resilience. Uh, speaking of toughness and resilience, that's what you need to have in college football if you're going to maintain. A, a pathway to the playoff. And, you know, we've been talking so much about the predictability of this season. It's been lacking in the major upsets. We, you know, we had one uh, a week and a half ago with, with Georgia being knocked off, knocked off by South Carolina. That was the kind of first hit to the cabal, if you will, uh, where all of a sudden now you, you've, you went down from six to five teams that were in great shape for the playoff. And Georgia can still get there. As we've noted, if they went out, they're in. Uh, but that's a big if. Uh, but we finally had a week, and we didn't rock the apple cart in terms of maybe the the, the playoff hunt. But we had a couple upsets that, that reminded you why you do love college football, even when it, uh, it it's becoming a little bit predictable. And even if your team is not having the season that you like, you can usually tune in on any Saturday and there's going to be some shocking event, some shocking game. You'll be watching a game and then the, you know, the up, the update comes in and it's hold on tight folks. You're not going to believe this one. Well, we had that uh, clearly with Illinois, Wisconsin. Uh, there was no way, no how, nobody who could see this coming. There, there just, there was nothing to even see a path where this was possible, where Wisconsin, a team that doesn't even take many chances throwing the football, uh, theoretically, Wisconsin should have been able to win this game by 30 points without throwing a single forward pass. Mm -hmm. But they lose a 24-23 on a last-second field goal. And this is right after I think we all started jumping on that Wisconsin bandwagon as maybe a possible team to to, to put into DEFCON 5, at least DEFCON 4.5. And then they lay an egg against the fighting Lubby Smiths. Hard to really hard to understand how that happens. But that's, again, the beauty of a college football upset. It's not supposed to make sense. There's no doubt about it, Mike. I mean, that was a shocker. I was actually sitting there watching part of that game. And I watched a bunch of the Illinois-Wisconsin game last week, too. And I think I said Illinois is one of the worst football teams I've seen. Just looking at their athleticism and their players, and you're like, this is, you know, not, you know, we're from SEC country, and I mean, this is just not what we're used to. When we go, even watching like ACC teams like Wake Forest, I was like, you know, this is bad. Well, lo and behold, you know, (laughs) I was all over the Wisconsin bandwagon last week, and lo and behold, you know, here comes Illinois making a Titanic comeback. Uh, they kick the field goal. They win the game. Hats off to Lovey Smith. Um, bad loss for Wisconsin. I think when Wisconsin got up 23-7, to they started looking ahead mentally to Ohio State, uh, which Ohio State does look really good. I'm not going to crown them as uh, the best team in the country because I was talking about how Wisconsin could be the best team in the country last week, and I don't want to jinx the Buckeyes. But I, I think there were some mental lapses there, which are uncharacteristic of Paul Chris teams. Uh, uncharacteristic of the Badgers when when they blew that lead. Um, and that was a shocker. That was one I did not expect, um, you know, in terms of the, the playoff conference contenders. Now, in the midsection, because we always talk about the middle, um, you know, there were some other results that I thought were extremely 
shocking, you know. So I, I'll, I'll save those as we go on down. But I, I do think that, you know, with this win, you can take Illinois off DEFCON 1 uh, for a while. And uh, who knows, maybe old Lovey Smith will turn it around. Who knows? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I look happy for Lovey, at least for this week. Uh, good guy, fine moment. Uh, maybe this propels Illinois into some kind of relevance or maybe uh, Illinois goes back to being Illinois and they are back in the abyss mm-hmm. and people still look at the contract of Lubby Smith and say how and why. We'll, we'll see with time. It wasn't the only upset. It was certainly the most relevant one. SEC fans still scratching their head on how Vanderbilt, a team that just got blown out at home by a hapless UNLV, UNLV team, then goes back the following week and defeats Missouri 21-14. I did not see this one coming either. Now, look, I'm not saying Missouri is a bunch of world beaters. They now have losses to Wyoming and Vanderbilt, yeah. which is why Missouri gets, gets, is on my DEFCON 3 list. Just for, for those two losses alone, there's a lot of talent on that team. And a lot of people thought they'd be 8-0 at this point, and really they kind of should, but they they pick inexplicable moments to not play well. They get up for the big games and typically play well against the greater competition. Uh, and they could, get, could almost justify the Wyoming, well, it's week one, it's on the road, it's the altitude, who in the heck schedules this game anyway, blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. You, it's, to me, it's almost harder to justify and explain a loss to Vanderbilt at this point. There is no question. Uh, and Vanderbilt started a first-time starter at quarterback, had a good game plan. Uh, Vanderbilt's defense has been garbage this year. Um, don't know if anybody's noticed that or not, but they've Vanderbilt's played like the worst team in the SEC. You're always kind of wondering who the worst team in the league is, and it, it's clearly been Vanderbilt. You know, they haven't really been competitive. They got blown out at home by uh, UNLV. I mean, that's a worse Mountain West loss than going to Wyoming and uh, losing an overtime – or was it overtime? It was a six-point game. Uh, And Wyoming's a triple option team, and that's like going and scheduling Navy, you know. And you schedule Navy in the opener, sometimes you're going to get beat. But um, it was shocking. And you're right, Missouri's gotten up. They got up for South Carolina. Their defense played well. I mean, they, their offense just sort of went in the tank. Kelly Bryant, 13 for 26, 140 yards, a touchdown and a pick. You know, I think a lot of people felt like because of his success at Clemson, and I like Kelly Bryant. I think Kelly Bryant's a good quarterback. But I think people thought, oh, my God, he's some big difference maker. He didn't have Clemson players around him. You know, he doesn't have the players he had around him on that team in Cle- at Clemson when, you know, they, they went to the playoffs. So, you know, that, that's the thing. Still an inexplicable loss. I would, I would, I'm going to knock Vanderbilt back down to DEFCON 3 off of DEFCON 1. I mean, we don't put Vandy on <laughs> DEFCON 1 too often because, heck, now with this win, they maybe get revitalized. Maybe they beat Tennessee yet again this year. And, you know, Derek Mason lives to fight another day. Um and uh, I thought his, you know, Derek Mason, I like him, you know, because he speaks his mind sometimes. And he's just like, you know, I'm the best coach for the job, blah, 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 after the game, yeah. you know, on Saturday. Because uh, these are Vanderbilt men and all this other stuff. And I was like, eh, I don't know, man. I think he probably should have pursued the Arizona State gig a couple of years ago. But uh, that's, uh, that's just me. 
Um, but hats off to them for a big win. And and I uh, there's one in the ACC, Mike, that's just completely blowing my mind every time I'm, I'm looking at the score. And we'll get to that here in a second. And that'll involve a a a near DefCon one team. But uh, yeah, DefCon three for Missouri. Yeah, uh, no doubt about that. And and I'm with you on 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 Bryant again, having seen him close up in the game against South Carolina, calling that game. I was amazed at just how inaccurate he is. Uh, and they have, again, a first-round tight end, and they have good receivers. Not Clemson-caliber receivers, but good receivers that were running open in some cases, and he just couldn't hit them. And I talked to Missouri's uh, radio play-by-play guy, who I know just going around the SEC all year long and seeing him, and he was just shaking his head. He said, Mike, this is how it's been all year. This is how it's been in practice, this is how it is in games. He just struggles with accuracy. He just struggles with that, which, I mean, you know, looking now, and I, I know Trevor Lawrence is, has regressed for whatever reason this year, throwing a lot of picks, but that decision is even easier than I ever thought it was. you got a guy that is going to be a first-round talent in Lawrence, and you got another guy who struggles to hit open receivers at the collegiate level. Um, again, nothing against the kid, and it was still a great pickup for Missouri. He does help them win games. Um, but and eventually that inaccuracy is going to show up in a close game where you need his arm to make plays, and it, it just didn't happen for Mizzou. Uh, an, an interesting upset, and I know some people just completely tune out the group five, and that's fine, uh, but for those of us who love college football, I mean, I, I love it. Uh, top to bottom. I, I don't want to just get to a point where we're only concerned about who's going to get in the playoff and who's not. Uh, Tim Brando was very adamant about that uh, in, in some interviews last week about how we've gotten to the point where all the talking head shows, if it's not Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma, then it's like it doesn't even happen. And that's changed where we used to talk about all of it. Now, if you're in the Southeast, for example, or the Big Ten, and you're listening to local sports talk, I, I like to think they do do a good job of covering college football as a whole and are not just concerned about who's in, who's out of the playoff. Uh, but nationally speaking, sometimes we, we've, we've become so micro in our focus uh, that that's not the case. So we don't do that here, obviously, on the podcast. But BYU knocks off Boise State, and you might say, well, who cares? Well, tell you who cares, the entire group five, because one of those teams is going to make it to those New Year's uh, six bowls and make a lot of money for the school and the conference, not to mention all the prestige that comes with playing in that. And Boise State had the inside track of being that team. Now you got to think it's SMU who's got the inside track. 28-25, BYU spoils yet another season. The Cougars, man, I mean, they're fascinating. Three and four this year. So it's not a, by BYU standards, I mean, it's not a great year. And, and they're probably somewhere in the DEFCON three range <laughs> uh, perennially this season. But their three wins are at Tennessee at home against Southern Cal. And uh, now this game against Boise State where they knocked them off and they've lost every other game. But they have three huge wins. And you're right, Mike. Uh, the Pony Express okay, is uh, charging towards a New Year's Six Bowl game. Uh, You know, they beat Temple. I never thought the SMU-Temple football game would mean a lot. I thought it may have some meaning in basketball at some point when Larry Brown 
uh, coached at SMU, and Temple's always been pretty good at hoops. But this is this was a big football game in the American and SMU, you know, forty five twenty one over the Owls. 457 passing yards for Shane Bouchelle, who was, uh, of course, the Texas quarterback at one point, uh, and, and a big win. And and so, you know, that's going to be interesting. I mean, let's say say Oklahoma or the Big 12 champion, which will probably be Oklahoma, doesn't make the playoff. You know, you match SMU with the Big 12 champion in a, in a uh, New Year's Six bowl game. That's a great story, uh, a great storyline. And, um, you know, SMU – rising from the ashes to get back to a major bowl uh, is tremendous. But that, yeah, that Boise thing, that knocked them off, and that does give the ponies, the Mustangs, uh, the inside track to to get back to some to – re, some, to recapture some former glory, if you will. SMU is one of my favorite stories this year in college football. Yeah. Might be my favorite. Um, I love the pony excess 30 for 30. I love the story – uh, of of the way they were absolutely bludgeoned, not only by the NCAA but even their own universe, their own uh, school president AD gave them another year of, of basically the death penalty. Just a I don't know appearances pile on whatever the case may be, um, and it, and it did it obliterated. Last week I talked about how Penn State has been able to bounce back from its. What, what a lot of people thought was the closest thing to the death penalty we've had in the last 30 years in terms of sanctions. And here they are. They're back in the national picture hunt, and and everything uh, is looking pretty good. We've had other programs recently that have had tremendous scandals that they've had to, to overcome, and they've been able to do it. It's taken a few years, but they've been able to do it. SMU is not – they're not built that way. I mean, they're not equipped that way. When you give a program like that those kind of sanctions and a program that this is not the old Southwest Conference, you know, SMU has just been floating around in group five type leagues for a while, and now they've found their their landing spot in the American. By the way, kudos to the American. You know, there was a time the American was basically Conference USA. Conference USA had had it going on, and they allowed themselves with – with some really questionable leadership to basically have all their premier programs plucked from them, all their premier TV markets. Remember SMU is in Dallas and temples in Philly and UCF's in Orlando and USF's in Tampa. They allowed themselves to be pillaged by the American. And now the American, they like to call themselves, you know, part of the power six and conference USA who has TV contracts with like, websites and uh, the NFL network having guys call their games that don't know anything about college football. I mean, they, they have just allowed themselves to become completely irrelevant. And and the American has some good football, has some good football teams, good football programs, good football coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, that all just kind of happened quietly under the radar where they usurped whatever gravitas that conference usa used to have and now there there's the american uh but that's where smu is and it's they're a great story i I don't know how you can't pull for them uh to to make it to that that new year's bowl game and and be that team from the group five that everybody's uh talking about and and um 
and obviously they're they're being rewarded with all kinds of, of money and everything else for the conference. Yeah, uh, agreed. And you got to watch App State, Appalachian State in this absolutely yep. deal Another too because they they beat North Carolina and they have a road game at South Carolina. If they win mm-hmm. that in November, you're you're talking about a a team with an ACC and an SEC win. Yep. You start kind of comparing those schedules, but um, I think the SMU story is good. Probably, probably better than the App State story because I, I was kind of against App State coming to the FBS level because they were a national. A lot of people were. Well, they were, you know, I, I, and a I've lot had of their a, own fans were. I've had arguments with people about this, like schools like App State and Georgia Southern going into the FBS. I mean, now instead of playing for a national championship, you're playing for the the Cornelia Bowl or whatever. You know, you're playing to, for Montgomery in December. You know, and. I just think yeah. that sometimes it's – and that's why I'm a proponent. I know we've talked about this during the offseason before of a group of five playoff because I think those programs then – you yeah. know, I mean, Statesboro, Georgia used to be happening on a, on a game day and a playoff, and they used to hold the 1AA National Championship there and stuff. I mean, I mean, these are schools with tradition and wins, but, you know, I, I guess if App State gets the big payday, uh, you know, and makes it there, then – that's fine. I mean, you know, they could they could cash that check and expand their stadium. But I, you know, I I, I think SMU clearly is the better story. Um, you know, and clearly would be you know the team that I think a lot of people should should root for in this situation. Totally with you on the Group Five playoff. I I think that's an inevitability. As I've said many times, the Group Five is is the new version of one double A uh, because they simply can't compete with the the Power Five stakes. Uh, and that's no knock on those schools. It's just the the gap of financial resources has got, has widened to the point where it's just not fair. And so, rather than pretend that it's it's a level playing field, and just give one team this this big reward, and then watch the others just struggle to uh, make do, uh, just go ahead and have a Group Five playoff. A TV network will will spend millions of dollars. It'll give those schools some resources they they desperately need to compete and it'll give them something to uh, hang their hat on I, I think that would be great to see uh, one of my favorite games i ever called was an appalachian state playoff game in boone north carolina mm. and the environment and the i mean it was just great and really really cool uh i'd like to see those schools have that opportunity to get back to something like that but right now we don't uh, we we don't have that. All right, so we we go back to the DefCon list again. For those of you who are fans of the famed movie War Games, a classic B movie from the 1980s, please rent it. You won't need therapy like you will after you see Joker. Uh, DefCon Five is where you want to be. That's peace is in the air, peace, love, harmony, everything is good. DefCon One means we're on the brink of something bad i.e. if you go back to the Cold War, Russia's about to send some bombs. We're about to send some bombs. Cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. Okay, so (laughs) DEFCON 5. DEFCON 5. I I actually made a change here, JC. Uh Uh-oh. Yes, I have LSU. Yes, I have undefeated Clemson. Yes, I have undefeated Oklahoma. Yes, I have undefeated Ohio State. But conspicuous by its absence... There's no Alabama on there. And I'll tell you why. It's all about an ankle. I'm basing this all based on one ankle. And that's the ankle of one Tua. 
and the subsequent surgery that he has had and the fact that Mac Jones is going to be the guy. Now, look, Tua on no ankles can go up against Arkansas this Saturday, and they could still win by double digits. In fact, Tua on crutches could probably just take the snap and then hand off to whatever Alabama running back is ready, and they'd probably win that game. But there's no Jalen Hurts. Now, I know there's talk about Tua will be fine for LSU. I'll believe it when I see it. Regardless, I, I that that is concerning to me to not have a help. We saw Tua last year not at 100%, and it clearly was nothing like the Tua we saw that was a Heisman Trophy candidate, if not frontrunner. So I'm, I'm putting Alabama at the time on DEFCON 4. Also on DEFCON 4 for me, I'm keeping SMU there. Another big win for the Ponies. How about Oregon? I, I, you know, look, if the playoff was – I just went Jim Moore on you. Playoffs? Playoffs? If the, if the playoff was six teams, not even eight, then the Pac-12 would be uh, so much more relevant. And, and it is a great race in the Pac-12. And Oregon is a great story and a really good team. Again, their only loss is a close one to Auburn in which they led by two scores in the fourth quarter and then eventually succumb to the Auburn Tigers. And so there they are at 6-1, 4-0 in the league. But Oregon continues to be the team right now in the Pac-12, and they just have to hope that we have one of those upset Saturdays and there's chaos and Oklahoma loses and Ohio State loses and somehow the Pac-12 champion does get in the playoff. Uh, also on DEFCON 4, Minnesota, P.J. Fleck, Baylor, Matt Rule. Been singing these guys' praises for a while. And they continue to impress. Everybody's waiting for Matt Rule and Baylor to just finally come crashing down to earth. It hasn't happened. They ring, they respond uh, each and every week to a team that looks like on paper they should be better than Baylor in the Big 12, and it's not happening. So that, for me, is DEFCON 4. DEFCON 3, we've already talked about Missouri. You've got to explain losses to Wyoming and Vanderbilt. I'm putting Chad Morris on here. Another loss to a more talented team, that's fine. But the worst fake punt ever where your punter throws a chess pass right to the guy who's rushing for Auburn. That was terrible. They are not – it's not just that they're losing. They're not competing as well as you would like at this point at Arkansas. We've already talked about Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. They another well, I know they played Penn State well. There's no shame in losing my touchdown. But you're now 1-9 versus top 10 teams. If you're Jim Harbaugh and at some point you got to turn it. And of course, now there's rumors of the NFL. He's denying it, blah, 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 blah. So actually I, I put, I put old Jimmy uh, khaki pants on DEFCON two. There's not even, I'm not even hinting at hot seat. I'm just hinting at the, the, the approval rating of Jim Harbaugh is just plummeting week by week in Ann Arbor. You got to start winning some of these games. Uh, and finally, DEFCON 1, I got two. Mm. Willie Taggart, a perennial DEFCON low number guy. <laughs> Did you watch the last drive against Wake Forest? Have you seen this, Jason? Yeah, that wasn't, that the, wasn't good. The, Disappointed uh, in Kendall Browse a bit, too. But yeah. Well, yeah. But, I mean, they, they've got a two-minute drill. They need to get in the field goal range. Not a touchdown, a field goal range. There's still a black man and a quarterback over Hornybrook which uh, I, I'm not sure if I totally understand that decision. And it could be the worst two-minute drill of all time. Go ahead and watch it on YouTube. It's 
it's inexplicably bad, and it's just like in a microcosm of what FSU football has been under Willie Taggart. And then finally, and I hate to do this because I have a love of animals, and I have a love of animal mascots, and I have a love of animal mascots being a big part of the presentation of college football. But for momentary, a momentary, uh, I don't want to call it a suspension, but just to put them on notice, because we care about safety here on the J.C. and Morgan podcast, I'm putting Sooner Schooner on DEFCON 1. Uh, thankfully, no one was hurt, so we can all laugh hysterically. It's kind of like when you were a kid and you were playing sports or doing some outdoor activity, and, and, and one of the guys gets wrecked in the groin, and he goes down for the count. you got to wait for a second. Like, hey, man, you okay? You, you all right? You, you, you. And then it's finally when he catches his breath and you, you grab his hand, you, you put him up. Then you can laugh hysterically. Then you can laugh hysterically. Man, you just, you, you just got racked in the jewels. We can all have a, a, a moment or two of hilarity. You had to make sure that the guy and the girl that fell right down on the carpet hard when the Sooner Schooner took that, the rack and pinion steering is not what it used to be on that thing. I might want to take it in for that 30,000-mile tune-up. And, and they go down hard, but then they got up, so then we could all laugh hysterically. But Sooner Schooner has suspended action. They're not doing that now until, I think, the spring football game. So they're taking this seriously. They know that that could have been a scary spill for one of those people, and no one's laughing then. But Sooner Schooner, I hate to say it, i got to put you on DEFCON 1. Sooner Schooner is, has a long, illustrious history of, like, it's kind of a hell-raising little operation. You know, remember back in the 80s where they'd come on the field and it tick everybody off and all that good stuff? There was some controversy back then. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I could see that. I've got, speaking of the 80s and, you know, I guess to a certain extent the early 90s and maybe in the early 2000s for a fleeting moment in time, I've got a DEFCON 1, the U. Mm, yeah. They lost to Georgia Tech, man, at home. Right. They lost to Georgia Tech at home. Mike, they lost. And look, in, in some years, that's fine. You know, Georgia Tech is a program that, that should be good, should be one of the better ACC schools. Um, but they are in the middle of a massive rebuild. They lost to the Citadel. Earlier this season, I mean, Jeff Collins has a tough, tough gig um, just transitioning that roster from, you know, basically Southern Conference level talent and, you know, for an option system into something that, you know, can represent modern football. And they go to Coral Gables or wherever the stadium is, I guess, Land Shark Stadium is not in Coral, but they go to, you know, Broward County, somewhere. <laughs> and, basically like Lauderdale. Uh, yeah, it's not even Miami. Yeah, and, and win. And, and Miami's run defense, Manny Diaz's vaunted defense, gives up 207 yards on the ground to Georgia Tech. Um, they still can't find a quarterback. Uh, they didn't run the ball particularly well themselves. But, I mean, I'm like, you know, the Manny Diaz hire was very reactionary after Mark Rick left. And I just think that while the Mark Rick hire was on paper probably the the one hire that made sense, and I'm not I'm not saying Manny Diaz doesn't deserve time, 
But man, I mean, Mike, <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot, a line of coaches that have gone through there since Butch Davis, or since Larry Coker kind of fizzled out, um, that have just been horrible. I mean, you know, and, and I'm not saying Manny Diaz will end up being horrible. I thought, you know, it made sense. And I think Diaz is going to, you know, maybe do a lot like what the other coaches have done there since Coker um, and, and fizzle out. Uh, but maybe he turns it around. I don't know. But, man, you're in a situation where people predicted Miami to win the Coastal this year just because of the players they have coming back. They did, He didn't inherit a roster that was in bad shape like uh, Jeff Collins did at Georgia Tech. You're 3-3. Three and three. You, You've been disappointing uh, in a lot of games this year. You can't lose that game, Mike. You can't lose that game. You had a big win over Virginia. Everybody's feeling good all of a sudden. And then you lose to Georgia Tech at home. Shake my head at the U. <laughs> Shake my head at the U. I mean, that's just – and it's just been I – mean, and I remember when they used to hire coaches that were – I mean, back-to-back, Jimmy Johnson, Dennis Erickson, Butch Davis, you know. Since then, it's been Larry Coker, Randy Shannon, um, Al Golden, the one guy from Temple that can't coach, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, and then, then you go and hire another guy from Temple that just went to t- anyway. It's just, um, I don't know. It's just really interesting how uh, how everything's kind of gone down down there. It, it it it's been a you know what show, um, and the reason they got Jimmy Johnson, J- Jimmy Johnson was poised to to get the Arkansas job, and Arkansas passed him over for Lou Holtz. If you go go back in time, uh, way back when, and then and then Jimmy bounced around as a coordinator uh, at Oklahoma State, and uh, eventually wound up wound up at the U. He had no ties to that school whatsoever, and you know they they obviously struck gold there. And then Dennis Erickson, uh, people forget Dennis Erickson actually won more national titles than Jimmy did. He won two titles there, mm-hmm. so he he did a good job, uh, obviously. And then and then since then it's. You know, Larry Coker had two of the most talented teams, perhaps in the history of college football. Won a national title with one, lost another one on a controversial call against Ohio State. Um, Butch Davis took the Cleveland Browns job. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and and Butch and Butch can't because remember now Miami uh, known to get in some trouble with the NCAA. I mean, there was Pell Grant fraud. There was pay for play with Luther Campbell of Two Live Crew. I mean, it was. It was a mess, and Butch was actually getting them out of the doldrums and running it uh, somewhat of a classy program. And once he bailed for the Browns, Miami hasn't recovered from that. Um, and I've always said this, and again, having having grown up in South Florida and actually played high school athletics, including football in that area, when you associate, and we played a lot of those elite teams and got our butts kicked, I always like to say I... I had I had I've been humbled by some of the uh, best athletes South Florida has to offer, me not being one of them. But um, the the when you associate those athletes that Miami gets out of Broward, Dade, and Palm Beach County, the the two S's, speed and swagger. Speed, there's so much quickness out there, and you can just recruit there, and you know you're gonna have a lot of speed. And the swagger part. I think, first of all, it's the most overused word in sports, and it becomes nauseating, quite frankly. Oh, look at the swagger. He's got swagger. He's got swagger. You have swagger when you're winning. That swagger 
gets lost real quick when you suck. And the one thing I'll say about South Florida kids, they're so used to winning at their respective high school programs. So many of those kids that wind up at the U, they've been on state championship after state championship teams or teams that constantly win. And, oh, yeah, they're swaggerific. I mean, they're running around and they're doing this and that. And that's kind of become a trademark of that area. But here's what happens with swagger when you face adversity and you start losing some games. A lot of that swagger, quite frankly, turns into quit. Mm -hmm. And I have noticed this for years, and I've said it before. And when I look at – because you can't tell me Miami doesn't have talent. And you can't tell me Florida State doesn't have talent. But but a lot of those kids that are from that area, when you start start off a season one and three or two and four – uh, you, you're not seeing the swagger and you're not seeing, you're, you're just seeing a lot of guys that quite frankly seem to check out a little bit. Uh, and, and that's just, that's where coaching really has to come in because you can't tolerate that. You can't, you can't just say, well, okay, we're going to play as hard as, as possible as long as we have a chance to win 10, 11 games. And then when we don't, well, well we can just go ahead and mail it in. No, no, you don't just let that, you don't just go ahead and get in the fetal position at that point. And look, it's not all coaching. It, it, it's not, it's not as if Miami has had a bunch of complete idiots there. I know like their fan base likes to, to tee off on this coach and that coach, but, uh, but I, there's some of it that has to be on the young men that suit up every week for the U and they got to take a little more pride and, and play a little bit harder uh, than what they have. You're right. It's inexcusable to lose at home to Georgia Tech. It's inexcusable. That's not just an X's and O's loss. That is that is the, the guys that are out there in uniform not given everything that they have. I mean, that's just that's a 10,000 feet above viewpoint of that. But that's just how I feel that I don't think it's all just coaching. I think that the, they have to change the culture and that mindset that, well, when you go to the U, you're playing for national titles, dog. Well, you might not, but you still got to work your ass off every week. You can't just lay down and quit because the season's off to a bad start. So that That's one thing that whether it's this coach or that coach or the next coach, I mean, Manny Diaz to me in a lot of ways made sense. I can't criticize that hire. I don't know who else the U should have gone after or would have gotten. Again, a lot of people are under the mistaken impression, and I know you're not one of them, JC, but a lot of people are, that Miami, because it has so many, so much history and national titles, that they have this unbelievable uh, amount of, of money that they can spend and will spend and have spent on facilities. and co- That's not the case. They've been notoriously thrifty in their athletic department for a number of years. And that has been, that has been a decision that has been made above any athletic director and above certainly any head football coach there. So, uh, the, you, you're right. Still a lot of issues. And, and on a week where Mark Richt had a, had a heart attack, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't that long ago. They were 10 and zero under Mark Richt and then the wheels came off. And then what happened? All that talent, all of a sudden, Again, just kind of went in the fetal position. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, you, you know, and you, you know about this from the state of Florida. People ask me all the time, what the heck is wrong with the big three in Florida? Well, 
you know, Florida State does have some dumpster fire coaching issues, but Jimbo Fisher, pretty good coach. You know, I don't know that Jimbo's going to tear it up at A&M, but that's another topic down the road. But uh, pretty good coach, won a national championship. That Those last couple teams he had, they, they were very talented, but they quit. You know, they, they, they didn't play like Florida State plays, you know. And you look at all the great players that have come through that program, um, and they're embarrassed. You can see them on social media. They talked about, I mean, some of the former FSU players teed off on them after losing to Wake Forest on Saturday. Same mm-hmm. thing's true with Miami. And it's just, uh, it's embarrassing because they, they, they don't, those schools don't play to the standard, you know, and, and it has nothing to do with talent. Uh, and you're right. In a lot of cases, it has nothing to do with coaching. Now, the coach that's going to be successful there is going to be probably a guy a lot like Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen, if you notice the last Florida team Jim McElwain had, those guys quit, laid down, finished four and seven. That was better than a four and seven football team. But they have McElwain got fired. They got blown out by Georgia. Yeah, let's just mail this on in. And, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, Dan Mullins come in there, and, and you know, they haven't looked great at times. You know, they struggled a little bit with South Carolina on Saturday. They find a way to win. And now you can see them starting to snowball. Dan Mullins, 17-4. and four. You know, that same group that got blown out by Missouri at home last year has figured out how to win. And you see Florida now playing like the Gators, playing up to the standard of those programs. FSU and Miami have not figured it out. And, and I don't know. Miami is in one of the worst divisions in college football. That coastal division in the ACC, you don't have to deal with Clemson. You don't have to deal with Florida State whenever they're back. Louisville, in my opinion, is going to come back under Scott Satterfield. They're all in the Atlantic. You have to deal with a bunch of teams that are woefully inconsistent. And you can't even do that. They've won one division title. They've been in the league since 2005, Mike. 2005. Mm-hmm. One division title. In all that time, Mark Rick got it, and then they get promptly got thumped by Clemson. Sad. It, 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 and you'd like, you'd like to think that you could take Manny Diaz and Willie Taggart, and this past Saturday you could have given them uh, free tickets – to an eight-hour deep-sea fishing tour where they're on a boat with uh, a, a nice guide and they're out there trying to catch marlin and game fish while those respective games are going on. And Florida State should still beat Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. And Miami should still beat Georgia Tech with those two gentlemen not even in the building. Uh, but again, I, as much as – well, I mean, Willie Taggart is, is Willie Taggart. There's nothing more that needs to be said about that. And I, I, I really – can't see many scenarios where he is back next year. Uh, and I know it's inexplicable to say you would fire a coach after two years, but I know a lot of Florida State fans, and I know a few Florida State boosters, and it's going to be really hard for them to be muted and not heard their their uh, desires to have him out. Uh, Manny Diaz will certainly be back. But uh, you'd like to think there's enough talent on the field to do better. But I, I think some of it is on the talent. Again, we're not talking about uh, teenagers, or, or we are. In some cases, we're talking about nineteen-year-olds, but we're talking about young men, and young men need to have a little more accountability. Uh, and those young men have, at times, not done what they need to do 
in order to go ahead and, and play to the level of those respective programs. It, it's interesting to see just where where Miami and Florida State have gone to. And you're right, Dan Mullen has certainly changed the culture for the time being in Gainesville. It's it's scary to think if they actually get you know more talent back in there that the, the talent that used to be in there back in the urban days and the Spurrier days what Florida could actually do. Clearly they, they got their, their right fit there. Um, just a couple other things that, that stood out. If congratulations to Joe Burrow, he now already holds the LSU single season passing touchdown mark. That's um, what he's doing at LSU is not only record setting, but it's got everybody thinking now that LSU actually has a chance to beat Alabama on November the 9th. I don't think many people were thinking that way a month ago, uh, but there's everything just seems to be rolling in Baton Rouge, and you combine that with the two injury, that's going to be one heck of a game to watch. Uh, it'll be a day game, but it'll be one heck of a game to watch on CBS coming up in a few weeks. The Urban Meyer saga continues, JC. Now, there were some rumors Urban Meyer to Florida State. That has been squelched uh, rather immediately. <laughs> I can't see Urban going to Tallahassee. I, I just – there's just easier places for him to land right now at marquee jobs where he could exceed expectations much quicker than Tallahassee. But but it's out there nonetheless. It would be like Rick Pitino going and coaching at Louisville. Remember when that happened not sure. too long ago? I mean, he was at Kentucky – then he was with the – what was he? Took the Boston Celtics job and then went back and coached Louisville for a long – actually coached at Louisville longer than he coached at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and probably would want to coach again somewhere not in Greece or wherever he's been exiled to. <laughs> but uh, it would be kind of like that. And, and those are awkward and sort of – I don't know. I, 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 you know, Urban Meyer to Florida State, that would be – I mean, would Urban want to take that job? I, I just, I, I don't know. I do think that it's a that Florida State is still a premier job. You have one team. You have to, you know, we always talk about the path of least resistance. And really, I mean, and I know I said Louisville will be back under Scott Satterfield, no question. I love what he's done. He's, he's taken an absolute dumpster fire, and they may go to a bowl. Uh, I know Wake Forest is having a good year this year. That division, though, Mike, it's really Clemson and then – you know, Florida State, and then if Louisville kind of can get back, they can be the third team. Um, no mention of NC State and Dan- Dave Doran. Isn't he still the coach at NC State? Yeah, I'm not he mentioning sure NC State till he's not. I just, <laughs> I just still think that guy's very good. Um, but you know, so Florida State still is a premier job. It's one of the best brands in all of college football. You can go recruit. You can recruit Florida, which I would recommend. Recruit Florida heavily, and then go national for you know things like talented quarterbacks and big time running backs and offensive linemen, which has been a mystery as to why they can't solve that over the years. Um, and so, if you're Urban Meyer, I think that type of job, you know, certainly is one that you would look at. But <sighs> he was at Florida and he won a national championship there, so why would you go back and and and, and look? I, I'll say this too, I. I I think Florida State eventually can, you know, topple Clemson in that division. But it's going to take some work and some years. And I just, I think Urban Meyer, if he gets back in, you know, history has shown he's, 
you know, he's probably three or four more years and then he's out again. So, you know, that's, that's not, you know, that's, that's a three or four year build to get to the point Clemson's at. Well, and you hit on the key point. You've got to remember when Urban took over the Florida job, Alabama wasn't Alabama yet. Nick Saban wasn't in Tuscaloosa yet. I think Urban looked at the landscape of the SEC and said, yeah, I mean, number one, Ron Zook did a lot of bad things, but he recruited well in his three years in Gainesville. Number two, they weren't that far off from being the preeminent program in the SEC under Spurrier. (coughs) I can go ahead and go go in and do my thing there. And I'll win right away. And the ACC, yeah, you can win right away at Florida State. Most coaches not named Willie Taggart do. But he's not going to overtake Clemson anytime soon. On top of that, the reason I say it's not really a, a great possibility is that I think Urban realizes Urban's limitations mentally at this point. And Florida State is, all in, for all intents and purposes, an SEC caliber job, which means it is a pressure cooker, grind, every loss, you're on the hot seat, every the, the politics, people constantly maneuvering to move your rear end out of there. And I, I just don't think he wants to deal with that at this point. And while Southern Cal has great tradition and everything else, it's still the left coast. It's still a different vibe. And I think it would fit Urban Meyer's quest for a less pressure cooker situation than what he would have at an SEC job or a quasi-SEC job like Florida State. Um, I, I, I think I think it's got – if Urban's coming back – it's Southern Cal to me or bust. I just don't see another good fit for Urban Meyer at this point. Do you disagree? I don't. I don't know that I disagree with you. I, I kind of feel the same way. But I, how about Oklahoma if Lincoln Riley goes to um, the Dallas Cowboys? Uh, well, that's. I mean, that's. Yeah, that's a possibility. I guess in, in my mind, I'm still thinking Lincoln Riley is not going to fall into that trap. <laughs> 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 I, I think Lincoln is smart enough to know, you know, we're going to, we're going to close with the, the 30 highest paid coaches in college football and, and Lincoln Riley, if he wins a national title in Norman, let's say this is the year he does it. Uh, that Dabo Sweeney, 9.1 million could easily be overtaken by Lincoln Riley's 10 million at Oklahoma. Because the money is there. And at that point, you're not leaving for the Cowboys because of money. You're leaving because of uh, ego and curiosity of being an NFL coach. And we know how well that hasn't worked for everybody else not named Jimmy Johnson. Um, I think Lincoln Riley, even at a young age, is smart enough to know that 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 job is a trap. And is it really worth it? Unless you just hate recruiting and dealing with boosters and public speaking, and, and if you just don't like it, and I don't get that sense at all from Lincoln Riley. He seems tailor-made for the college game and everything that goes with being a premier college coach. Unless you just somehow are so turned off by all that, then, yeah, you take the Dallas job. But I don't see it happening. I think Lincoln's going to stay put. Uh, so now you're, if your choices are Florida State and Southern Cal, I think it's a no-brainer he's taking, taking Southern Cal. All right, I, I just teased it, so let me, let me pay it off here. So if I were to, po- if I were to close, uh, pose the question, J.C., what conference has the most highest-paid coaches 
in college football, which one would you say? I would probably say the SEC. You just fell into the trap. Ah, is Jerry Jones going to call me up now and fire me? Yes, he is. Jeez. No, I think most people would say SEC, and it's close. SEC's right up there. In fact, SEC has five of the top ten. But the overall is the Big Ten. The Big Ten has ten of the highest 30 paid coaches in college football. The SEC has nine. The Big 12 has five. The ACC has three, and the Pac-12 has three. Now, if you take that more specifically into uh, top ten, like I said, Saban is two, Fisher is three, Kirby is five, and Malzahn is six, and Mullen is ten. All those guys making over six million a year. So five of the top ten are in the SEC, but ten overall, the top thirty are in the Big Ten. Dabo leads the way at nine point three million. I think I, I shortchanged him two hundred grand. Dabo will split the difference and uh, have dinner over there in uh, the Esso Club or something. Um, Nick Saban two at eight point nine. Jim Harbaugh three at seven point five. Jimbo seven point five. Kirby, 6.9. Gus, 6.8. Herman, 6.8. Jeff Brom is the guy on this list. It's like, huh, what? Who, what? Mm. Jeff Brom is number eight at 6.6. He's the coach of Purdue. For those of you who were not familiar with Coach Brom's work, they got him from uh, Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky. Uh, Lincoln Riley, 6.4. Dan Mullen, 6.1. Now, all this, of course, is going to change year by year. And like I said, if Lincoln Riley puts together a memorable season this year, he could easily go from 6.4 to 10. All these schools could easily bump up their coach another few million. It can be done with a snap of a finger. But that's the uh, the list overall. So make of that what you will. I, uh, you know, Kirk Ferentz, uh, I keep wondering, like, when his contract, I mean, because, you know, there was a lot of talk when Iowa was struggling a few years back. Like he had like a massive buyout. Um, so I wonder how that's going right now for Iowa and Kirk Ferentz, and how long, much longer you have. Oh, the school buyout is still twenty-one million. <laughs> I mean, I don't nothing against Kirk Ferentz. I, I think he's a really good coach, and Iowa is as steady as they come. But man, that buyout's still heavy. But, no, you kind of look at it, and it's – Jeff Brom is interesting because I think Jeff Brom has done some really good things at Purdue in terms of getting that program some attention because it was in the doldrums there. They made a couple of bad hires that just didn't work out back-to-back. But, you know, Tennessee came after him. He was one of the many that turned down the Tennessee job. Uh, And then his alma mater, Louisville, where he played quarterback, came after him. And, you know, Louisville, for Jeff Brom, I thought it was a no-brainer, and he stayed. I think now we're seeing why, because the Big Ten schools, people don't understand the Big Ten schools are financially in really, really good shape. They've got plenty of money. You don't kind of sit there and think about Indiana football having more money than Miami football, but they do. Because they've got a great TV deal. They've had it for years. These are all large state-supported land-grant institutions that have massive alumni bases and followings and huge endowments to begin with. And then Jim Delaney has turned it into like a a, a cash cow. So that Purdue thing's interesting because I, 
I call me crazy. I, I I could see him getting in some trouble here in a couple of years if if they don't win more uh, football games because they they aren't very good um, week to week and and all that. Yeah, and I look I I've been high on Jeff Brom. I don't know why Purdue. Jeff Brom not that long ago was right up there at the top of the coaching list. Uh, he could have. He could have waited or he could have gone to Purdue for a year and then bolted. Jeff Brom was cream of the crop. I mean, we've talked about this for all the for all the coaches that are on the quote unquote hot seat or for all the fan bases that are overreactionary. And every time their team loses a game, they want to fire their coach. It's not a great pool of coaches out there. Uh, If you're you know. There's way too many fan bases that are under the illusion that they are going to get Urban Meyer, and they're simply not even in the running. Um, so once you get past that, this is not a, a a a pot full of huge names or guys that have been ultra successful at multiple spots or guys. You know, there's not like a Tom Herman out there right now that everybody looked at as a can't miss and couldn't wait to get. There's not a Lincoln Riley. I'm not saying there aren't good young coaches out there, and sometimes you get a you got to just roll the dice. It's not as if people were having a parade for the hire of Matt Rule at Baylor. And guess what? He's a hell of a coach. They weren't having a parade for Scott Satterfield at Louisville, but guess what? He's a hell of a coach. They've done a hell of a job. I've been on the PJ Fleck bandwagon for a while, and while they're about to get humbled in the tail end of that schedule at Minnesota, he's probably going to finish no worse than nine and three. And to me, that's a hell of a job at Minnesota. And I'd be surprised if people aren't knocking on his door, but it's going to be harder to get him now. You should have gotten him earlier if you really wanted him or wanted a, a young, exciting coach that could transform your program. So just something to keep in mind. I'll tell you something else to keep in mind, and that is for all your clothing needs, Brent Skinner is the man. I speak from experience with quality service and style and unmatched results in terms of your custom fitting clothes, your suits, your sports coats, your shirts, uh, great accessories to go along with it. And here's the best thing. Brent comes to you. He comes to wherever you are listening right now in the country. He comes with, uh, I mean, it's amazing. I've seen him come to my house and he's just got these big old bags of clothing samples and fabrics. Then he fits you up. And before you know it, at your door comes your suits, your shirts, your clothes, and they fit you to a T, and they look so, so good. That's why so many people across the country use Brent Skinner, and you can too. Go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com, set up a free appointment, and with any purchase of a sports jacket or a suit, you mentioned that you heard about it, you heard about it on the J.C. and Morgan podcast, and a custom-made shirt is yours for free. Go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com, and set up an appointment today with Brent Skinner. JC, we got the uh, preview installment, which I understand did exceptionally well last week, and I imagine will do exceptionally well this week. For those of you that want to get ready for another weekend of college football, we'll have yet another podcast dropped for you. Oh, yeah. And you can get that now on Spotify, on 24-7 Sports, and iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Uh, just about anywhere you find podcasts, you can find JC and Morgan, wherever you go. We will be there talking college football. It sounds like a Celine Dion song or something or 
wherever you or Richard Marks. Richard, wherever Mark, you go, I will be right right there. I'll waiting be right for there you. waiting for you. They should have played that at the, the end of the movie. He did the soundtrack for the movie Joker. I'm just kidding. He didn't. <laughs> that, that would have been a hell of a choice. I'm thinking more like Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> Perfect. Richard Marks is sitting there eating a McRib right now. That's what he's doing. He is eating a McRib. He's eating a McRib with a sauce-stained wife-beater T-shirt going, you guys laugh, but I gladly would have taken that gig. He's trying to get the, uh, Florida, Florida, trying to get the Florida State job. You know, I don't know. Yes. Richard Marks. You know, defensive coordinator Richard Marks. I'm not sure he would be worse than Taggart or Dave Doran. I think both those guys. I don't know. I, don't, I try not to. I'm usually like pro coach, you know. I'm – I, you know, there's 117 coaches out there. I'm usually not down on any of them. You know, I'm kind of a homer for coaches. I can always kind of see how guys can work out. You know, I was, I was not hard on Ed Orgeron. Now that he has Joe Burrow, go Tigers. They they may win the whole ball of wax. So I always kind of give people the benefit of the doubt. But those two ACC Atlantic coaches, I think, are just terribly, terribly mediocre and bad. And they probably need to. You know, I don't know if NC State will go in another direction because they have a pretty terrible athletic director, too, in my opinion. But uh, wow, they, um, you know, Florida State obviously <laughs> should if they want to win some football games. Anyway, sorry I got off on a tangent. Uh, That's okay. We, we, we were wrapping That's it up so- with McRibs and McRibs, podcast, Richard Marks, and pod- Willie Taggart. Podcast distribution. So <laughs> I can't think of a better way to end uh, this particular podcast. And that's what we're going to do right now. Again, we'll see you next week. We'll talk about what hopefully will be a very fun and exciting week nine. For J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for now.